Maxwell. Sam Swell. Hello. How are you? Pretty good, man. I did. I panicked. (laughs) I was going to call you Samuel, but I just have Sam Swell instead. I kind of like Sam Swell. That sounds like a fantasy character. (laughs) Sam Swell the Brave. Well, that's to be decided. Mm -hmm. How's it going? How's uh, Uh, how's life in Massachusetts? Life's pretty good. It seems, I mean, in these crazy times, fairly normal for me. So I'm one of the few people I feel like that can say that. So things aren't too bad. For me cool. as an individual. <laughs> great. Yeah, so things are great actually, you know. So I don't know what else is going on, but I don't really read the news and things like that. So actually I do have quite a bit of uh, isolation from what's actually going on around me. Um, well, let which me is a bring choice. you up to speed real quick. Yep. Um, it's, you know, early days of the apocalypse. Okay. So that's about it's it. It's April. It's April. It is April now. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's Easter, or if you're an oh. Animal Crossing player, Bunny Day. Are you an Animal Crossing player? I am. Uh, are you ready for... Can you describe Bunny Day? Because I've heard a lot about it, and I actually haven't been playing well, Animal Crossing, so I don't know about Crossing, it. Well, in Animal Crossing, on April 1st, this new character showed up on your island. He looks like a giant bunny. His name is Zipper, and he wants you to find eggs all across the island so i've been finding eggs for the past couple weeks you get eggs you get stone eggs for knocking them out of out of stones you get sky eggs for shooting them out of the 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 floating presents so they occasionally will fall you get uh leaf eggs that are growing on trees you get wood eggs that are that fall out of trees when you chop them and i've been collecting all these eggs and now um you you give him some of those eggs he'll give you a, a present and you can craft other things and you know it's just a real joyous time that sounds nice. That's exactly how science works, too. Yeah, my uh, my little Animal Crossing guy is currently wearing a dress, uh, an, a sky egg dress and sky egg shoes and a hat that looks like the top part of an egg. Nice. A real Easter outfit. Yeah, I'm real, I'm real festive. <laughs> That's cute. How uh, about we do a check-in round? Sure, let's do a check-in round. Am I just choosing a number from your master yeah. list? Yeah. Let's do – it goes up to what? What's the number? 115 is the highest. Wow. We'll go 42. You, I swear to God, I think I've done this one twice this week. Okay, nope. We're going to go 63. <laughs> it's weird how people keep picking the same numbers. Well, that's the what's well, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy number, right? I know. Right? Maybe right. that's where everyone falls to. 63. If you could change one thing about airlines to make your flight more enjoyable, what would it be? Oh, man. I don't know. Well, you should start because you probably have a lot of opinions. <laughs> well, nobody's flying anywhere right now. So True. I guess this is from the before times. So mm-hmm. in the before times when I was traveling a lot, the one thing about airlines, hmm, I mean, I feel like you could have like a really radical answer that n- they obviously would not do. Like, give me my, give me a, a couch to sit in instead of a crappy uh, chair, but I'm going to avoid the fantastical, mm-hmm. fantastical. Wow. I said it, no. I said it that way because I use an app called fantastical. <laughs> uh, and that is, it is now in my brain where the word fantastical is supposed to be. Um, let's see. One thing to make my flight more enjoyable, it would be, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Literally almost every aspect of it could be a little bit better. Let's just say, how about this? How about a better boarding system? Yeah, I was going to say that as well. Have you seen CGP Gray's video about the different ways of boarding an airplane? Yes. Well, yeah, I have a while back. I think we'll I will include uh, it in the show notes. But yeah. there are better ways than what they currently do, and it's just it just seems so unnecessarily 
convoluted right now. Mm-hmm. So check out check out CGP Gray's video in our show notes and imagine a world where we could get on planes easier and better and less stressfully. Um, what's your boarding process? Is you, you like to be the last guy on plane? I like to be whenever possible, unless I have a roller bag that I want to try to store above my seat. Then that sucks. Yeah, it's a fight to the death. Yeah, but I usually travel without that, so getting on last is fine. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, my airplane experience is fairly limited. I've mostly flown on planes that have like 50 to 70 people because most of my flights have been from New Hampshire to Michigan and things like that. So I haven't experienced like big plane life, which I know is where boarding and everything actually really sucks because you're fitting 200 people, you know, a ton of people onto a plane. Um, I'm trying to think what thing I I really dislike. I mean, what if, what if they just had like really good coffee, like blue bottle uh, coffee? That'd be great if they had really good coffee. They deliver or... like a little pour over that you make yourself, a little ground beans, a <laughs> little little plastic, a little paper cup, a little like paper funnel, and you just make your own pour over. That's awesome. That'd be great. I'm sure somewhere has that. I'm sure some in first expensive class or something. Yeah, like the Emirates yeah. airline where you pay a couple thousand dollars to have a bed and everything. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I'm trying to think what I mean. Like, I guess now that I've used some sound canceling headphones, it's gotten better um, when I fly. But if they could just be just like half as loud in there, it'd be great. Um, You're talking about like engines and not like yeah. people, right? Not people, but I mean, so I want quieter engines. Oh, I wish I want. I mean, quieter people would be great too. Well, I, I mean, trains f- trains have quiet cars. Maybe they should have sections of the airplane that are quiet. I'd like that. It'd be really nice if there was a section that was just like you're going to be sleeping or doing very quiet, you know, dark, <laughs> the dark, uh, acts. quiet, dark go, activities. Yeah. This is the quiet, dark area. And if you want to be a, a loud light boy, you go sit in the front or you go sit in wherever they have <laughs> a lot of the space for. All right. Cause nothing's like worse than like, I mean, sometimes I usually will just take, I go social pressure. So if everyone's trying to sleep, I'll just, you know, give into the, the, the social pressure of not trying to read a book or something. Uh-huh. But, um, if you know, because sometimes I want to do something, but everyone around me is all is all shut eye, and I I give in because I'm not gonna be the guy that turns the light on, because <laughs> flying already sucks, and no one wants to be the guy that has the window open and like has the sunrise just blasting people's faces. Yeah. Um, I think there's already been plenty of things where people talk about uh, um, you know what's the what's the what's the protocol for opening and closing a window blind right. if you are the window seat person, um. Well, I don't know. I don't fly enough. It doesn't really bother me very much. <laughs> All right. Uh, Great. Yeah. We're checked in now. The, the question in. was nonsensical anyway because, you know, who knows the next time anybody is going to be on a plane. I, though I guess, I mean, people are flying around. Well, still. yeah, let me I tell you this. planes taking off all day yeah. long. Well, I'll say gaining ground is right next to an airport, actually. Oh, like really? You could throw a, a rock from gaining ground and get it onto the airport's property. You shouldn't, um, you shouldn't throw rocks at planes, Max. I know, and I don't. Um, okay, good. But it's a, like a private uh, airport. Um, a lot of small like charter planes and stuff out of there. A lot of like the Celtics and stuff used to fly out of there. But anyways, plenty of people are still flying out of there. Someone is riding these 15-person rich private jets uh, every single day. Um, so they seem fairly unaffected. <laughs> Farmer, f- farming moguls, probably. Yeah, probably farming moguls. So, um, it does feel a little weird to just be like out there like hoeing beans and you look up and it's like, ah, oh, there goes a millionaire in his private jet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's some, uh, I don't know, some real like class consciousness, uh, stuff going on there. 
Yeah, but no, it doesn't <laughs> bother me that people aren't flying right now because I'm I'm more of a car road trip guy. At least right. our family's always been that way. So yeah. I don't I don't crave the the flying experience or flying in general. Speaking no of, one, of yeah of family road trips, you know, obviously we would mostly go to Kentucky. Last night I had a dream that we were in Kentucky and I was out fishing with Grandpa Bill and it was mm-hmm. me and then I think it was maybe Nate. I'm not sure. It's but, a fishing story. It's going to be there. Yeah, but the thing, the main thing was, is that there were these uh, weird fictional animals there, and one was a like an orange chicken that two clownfish were riding <laughs> outside of the water. In and the water, it was, and it was like running around in like this marshy area. And Grandpa <laughs> thought it was like totally normal, and I was like, "What is that thing?" And he was like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't know." But then I remember, good. then I remember petting it. That's all. <laughs> That's like a yeah, that's a Kentucky chicken fish. That's yeah, classic. Something. It was weird. Anyway, <laughs> well, you know, so what's weird... uh, what's wait, going? No. Wait, what? I was say it's a little weird because exactly one year ago we were in Kentucky for Easter. So were, were we? Yeah, we all. Most of us were down there oh. for Easter last year. Huh. Was I there? Do you remember? I think you were. Okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, so what's going on? What's going on in your world? Last week we talked about how you had just had your first week on your new farm, which is bigger than your last one, and you're using some new new tools, like a tractor that you push or rock behind or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the hoop house on rails, and what else is... So what's, what's, what did you do this week? Um, still, still doing new things. Um, well, I, we talked about uh, caterpillar tunnels, I think, for a second, didn't we? Did I ever bring up the word caterpillar tunnel? Those are like... Are they hoop houses? They're hoop houses that are more temporary. So you put, I mean, the metal structure stays up. You put plastic up in the spring and bring it down in the fall. So anyways, we finished working on those. There's 10 of them in total on the farm, which means you recover 10 every spring. What does it take to recover it? um, Well, so in a normal year, the structures stay put. They were moved this year because there was a better spot for them. So they had to move them all first, which involves, you know, taking all the bolts out, lifting these, you know, the big metal um, hoops up, carrying them over to the new site and putting them down. Um, so we did that for one remaining hoop this week, which was actually a fairly quick process. And then, but every year, all the covering part includes is you reuse plastic for as long as you can, but as plastic ages, it becomes more and more opaque and lets less and less light through. So usually three to five years is like the lifespan of hoop house plastic. Um, but anyways, so you roll out, whether it's old plastic or new plastic, down one of the sides, um, in this case like an 80-foot-long tunnel, and you put a bunch of – you get three ladders and you put them kind of inside the structure. It's ideal to have four or five people to do this, and you grab basically one end and uh, drag it over the top to the other side. Um, people on ladders help to kind of make sure it gets over that top bar, and then – you use something called wiggle wire, which is like the way that all hoop houses or many of them are secured, which is this like kind of crazy trapezoid looking wire that you kind of work into a channel to hold the like just squishes the plastic basically. And then the I can't thing that imagine makes, this is a task you can do when it's windy out. It's incredibly difficult. Um, even did you, did you have you have windy times this week? We did. We did this on a fairly non-windy day. Okay. Um, but yes, there even the slightest breeze makes this very very difficult because you have a sail uh, basically. Yeah, a, a ninety foot wide or get a, ninety you get feet a big enough sail. big enough gust and they carry carry you away. Mm-hmm. That's a farmer airplane. That's yeah. how we get up in the sky. <laughs> they carry you to the to the Wizard of Oz. Um, 
And then basically the thing that makes it a caterpillar tunnel is all the caterpillars. Um, yes. <laughs> yep. Um, is so you only wiggle wire the very ends and then you take rope and essentially you tie it to a carabiner that's on the bottom of down by the soil, you throw the rope over, you clip it to the other side, throw it back. So you basically end up cinching it down so that it, it looks like, like you, you know what you sound like? You sound like a sailor. Yeah, a little you're bit. Like a, you're like a ground sailor, <laughs> an earth sailor. Ground sail farms. There you go. There you um, go. Yeah. So anyways, it's actually with four people that know what they're doing. We can recover a, uh, a, a caterpillar tunnel in, in 30 minutes, 45 minutes. <laughs> so it was pretty quick. Um, and then the one other thing, I got to use a new type of uh, direct seeder, which would just be like a thing you push through the soil to, for us, seed greens or root vegetables, things that we don't transplant, you know. Why um, can't you use your hands to do this? It's incredibly slow and it murders your back. <laughs> so is this so, you like you're able to like stand up and do it? Yeah. So this would be, I mean, yeah. Imagine like you're in a backyard gardening. You know, you're planting a row of peas. You're like I'm making a little furrow with your hand. Then you're dropping them in. Then you're covering them by hand. Yes, it's um, very quaint. It's very quaint. Well, when you're planting, you know, 500 bed feet of you know baby kale or some type of of green, you basically push this. We, there's the the fancy ones called a Jang is the brand, <laughs> so the Jang you push the Jang cedar. Um, they're crazy. Like you rotate out these different little sized wheels for catching the proper amount of seed. There's a lot of ways you can adjust it to make it, um, like you know exactly how you want. Um, it's a science that takes forever, but luckily at gaining ground they've been doing it for a while, and therefore I don't have to think at all. I literally just push it and it works. So <laughs> um, use one of those for the first time. Um, yeah. Those are the new things, I guess. I mean, I can tell you what we actually other things we accomplished on the farm this week. Yeah, I want to know. I want to know what you accomplished. What early April is like on a farm? Yeah. we planted our potatoes, so the potatoes are in the ground. So, uh, what's a potato seed look like? Potato. You plant a potato. Oh, an entire potato. You can, yeah. So basically, I mean, the quick the quick way to do it is, yeah, you just drop in this full potato into the ground. Wait, but uh-huh. if. Does each does that each that produces more than one potato then because it's yes okay <laughs> a hill of I mean it's hard to know how many exactly what the conversion is but you'll probably get like seven potatoes for one potato huh. uh, if you have a good year um, but anyways you know the the other way you can do it is what you need is if you've had potato potatoes potatoes <laughs> <laughs> you've had potatoes uh, ever start growing you know in your pantry yeah what's up with that. Uh, that is basically because they are a seed, you know, they are trying to continue growth. So those are eye, like where the, the growth comes out of is called an eye. And when you plant potatoes, you need to have at least two to three eyes on the chunk that you're putting in the, the soil. Gotcha. Um, so, I mean, you could literally, people will cut their potatoes like strategically so you can get the most out of one singular potato um, to have the most eyes. So, you know, if it has nine, you can cut that up and at least get three. Oh, there's my dog. Three feet of planting. Um but no, we just dropped in full potatoes because we had plenty. So it's pretty, it's quick. Um, so basically, I imagine was, dropping a potato in a hole hundreds of times is kind of satisfying. It's fairly satisfying. More uh, satisfying than like a tiny little seed. Like, did I even get it in there? Yeah, you do feel like this thing's gonna make it because you just dropped in like you know a giant potato. Yeah. Um. So we did that. We planted potatoes, more salad greens, more lettuce. Those are kind of the consistent early early year things and then anything else are these all direct seeds or are these things that you've started earlier um oh hey boca these are potatoes are considered direct seed i guess you know because you are dropping technically um the greens are direct seeded as well like that would be like arugula baby kale things like that like mustard greens 
like a cut lettuce, and then the wait, lettuce that we wait, wait, wait. I thought baby kale was more a function of how bit how old it was when you harvested it. There's literally something called baby kale. Well, it is no. It's usually they're bred for this, but it is it's still in the kale family and everything. And oh. it is been bred more that you are gonna cut when it has the the like its first true leaves, which are the little baby um, leaves you see. If you let one grow, it will continue to look like a kale plant. It just like might not be as hardy. Kale. Yeah, it's just not as hardy as it necessarily, but it is still the same thing. It's because not like a, aren't baby carrots just big carrots that they've cut down into smaller carrots? Yeah, I mean the carrots you get in a bag are. It's kind of ridiculous. Our, yeah, big carrots that are put onto a carrot lathe, as one does. <laughs> and you, <laughs> you, you whittle these carrots down into perfect cylinders because that's what people want to eat, apparently. They don't want to see a freak carrot. They just want... Well, they're rounded. handy, you know, mouth-sized pieces. They want rounded edges. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get so, cut. I don't want to cut my hand on a carrot. Yeah. So they... Um, <laughs> yeah, and then the lettuce that we planted was a, like a head lettuce that you would get. Like, you know, not... I mean, like a romaine, but they don't do romaine here. Are there other that. vegetables that we should turn into baby versions of themselves by lathing them? Like, what about <laughs> potatoes? You, you, it's a little bit easier because you can just like – baby potatoes are just a variety that you can harvest. No, no, or no. Harvest I want – I'm talking about taking a normal-sized one and like cutting mm-hmm. them down into specific shapes. Baby cucumbers, I guess they'd be kind of wet because the skin is well, like – Yeah, you got to imagine that when you when you cut off the skin of something like a potato, you're exposing the inside, which can cure and harden, but it's not going to do it in the same way that a carrot will. Hmm. And I think you start getting some funkiness what going on. What is it about carrots then that – I guess they're really well suited to that. They're pretty like, pretty hardy interior and like you know they, they seem like – when you cut a potato, you cut through the skin and then you have kind of like this soft inside. A carrot – you cut a carrot through. It's pretty much the same a thing. carrot is the same on the inside and the outside. Yeah. What you see with a carrot is what you get. Yeah, exactly. Um, it sounds mean, but it's true. Um, it's just very, so anyways, you know, it's very honest, very humble. I'm trying to think like a beet. Could you uh, could you lathe down a beet? That'd be a messy process, Maybe. though. Yeah, it, that would look terrible. Yeah, it would look like a slaughterhouse. Yeah. What about celery? You can't. We got those long fibers that are messing things up. Yeah. Hmm. So we'll think on it. Maybe there's a, there's a market somewhere for. I mean, there is a market for baby vegetables. That's a thing. People are very into little versions of of different produce. That's weird. Uh, oh, actually, yeah. yeah, little bananas. You ever seen a little banana? Yeah, they're hilarious. They're hilarious and really cute. <laughs> so obviously, it works on you, Sam. It you does. I just realized it does. I was I was dismissive, but now that I remembered that baby bananas exist. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, back to wherever I was. Sorry. Oh. We planted lettuce as well, like the head lettuce. That was a transplant. Those were already started in the greenhouse. What kind of lettuce? Like iceberg? No, iceberg is kind of uh, frowned upon as being a boring ass lettuce. Well, yeah, uh, it is, but 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 it's more of like a butter. You know, like if you ever had like they call it actually Boston bib lettuce is a common name for the style, but they're the kind that actually are much more soft to the touch. They don't last as long in a fridge. Um, yeah, they get have way more about. flavor. Um. So some of that one thing we did that if you describe to somebody who is a lean farmer or productivity which sounds insane is we thinned carrots which means told them to go on a diet yeah you get on all fours and you go down the carrot bed and you rip out all of the extra carrots leaving only one per half inch one per inch huh. in a row the reason you do that is because they don't compete with each other don't compete. You'll get better uniform sized carrots, but some people would just be like, well, why don't you just seed the right amount and not all the extra ones? Oh, I know why. Can I answer why? Yeah, go ahead, Sam. Because, yes, Sam. Because not every seed germinates. And yeah. and if you only put in the right number, then you're going to un- end up with fewer than you could have. 
yeah, it's wasted space. And so carrots are very finicky and have a pretty low germination rate. Um, so they need pretty specific soil conditions. Um, so you do overseed and then you go back and you thin by hand and it is an incredibly meticulous and slow process, but we thinned eight beds of carrots. So, you know, four rows in a, a single bed, there's four rows and those beds were 80 feet long. So, wow. uh, 320 times eight, that's a number. That's how many feet of carrots that we thinned this week. Wow. Um, so we'll do that every four weeks or so because they plant carrots consistently throughout the year. Usually volunteers would be out there doing that. but Yeah, how is it going without having volunteers? I mean, obviously little, you've never worked there with there, there being volunteers, but what are your coworkers saying? Well, so it's a little hard to compare right now because this is still before they would have big volunteer groups. Oh, okay. they, usually, they usually kick those off starting like – so we'll know soon. Like right around April they start to kick that off. So they haven't had the frame of reference necessarily to, com- to compare, but um, every week, I mean, we get like we have a, a giant to-do list of what needs to get done this week. And uh, so far, we've been exceeding it, usually being done with it by Thursday, and then Friday is for projects and other things we work on. So as of now, we feel very on top of it. Like I said, this is also the most experienced farm crew I've ever been a part of. So there's a right. lot of um, just like not needing to to train people on anything or you know so it's, it's been flowing very well it's been very uh very satisfying to to see the actual list get done by you know thursday so cool. we're all, all's well right now and um other than that we what else did we do that was interesting we trellised our peas um so our sugar snap peas are trellised now basically what do you have to up. do to trellis them what does that mean well everyone does it different but they're a process that i've learned the past two years which is definitely the nicest i've ever seen is essentially giant so there's in a bed of peas there's two rows on the outsides the middle is empty and in the middle you go down every eight feet and you put in a metal t-post like you do if you're fencing or something you know Mm -hmm. the little as the barb on the bottom you smash one of those in and then it's pretty clever i can't remember i think a farm in new york came up with this process so then you go and you take a piece of pvc pipe uh fitting like you know the t fitting mm-hmm. like a two inch one um so you set one of those on top of each metal stake so now they're metal stake with a little t on top how tall is the stake it's probably once it's in the ground it's probably like five feet tall okay i think they're like six foot stakes about one foot in underground and then so now they all have a little plastic cap on them and then you run they call it emt but it's a it's a like a quarter inch or half inch metal pipe that you screw together, like eight foot or 10 foot pieces you screw together. Basically, they have a little joiner together and those go through the PVC. So now you have essentially a structure of metal posts holding up these thin metal pipes that go all the way down the bed. You understand that? Yep, sense? yep, yep. And then, yep, from, right. then from the metal uh, pipe and posts, you essentially zip tie this plastic netting called Hortanova and that runs from the top metal all the way down to the soil, and now you basically have a perfectly up and down net all the way down the bed. And then, do you have to do something to like guide the plant onto the net, or does it do it itself? They pretty much do it themselves. They're pretty. I mean, I don't know if you've ever actually seen those time lapse videos of, of beans or peas or hops. They all, have, you know, they have tendrils. They have the little yeah. finger, the fingers that come out. Those kind of like search in a, in a circular pattern until they hit something, and whatever they hit, they will cinch to and start to climb. Um, so, oh yeah, we'll have to find one because it's crazy. So essentially they'll do that and they'll find the netting. 
um, we shouldn't have to do too much to get them to go up it. And yeah, so those peas are probably like six to eight inches tall right now. Um, so right at the time where they need to start being supported. So that was cool to kind of see, you know, one hour's worth, two hours worth of work to kind of have these be super easy to harvest in the future. Right, because uh, now when you go to harvest them, you can don't have to bend over as much. They're kind of like at hand height. Yeah, and so they should also just it should just be a wall of pea plants versus having to have them like flopping all over the place around the ground, um, right. which still happens, but it should be easier. And it's also it will be interesting. I hate picking peas, so we'll talk about it when we get there. Um, cause it's, they're, they, they're camouflaged. They, they blend in. They're the worst. So um, I know this, this farm is not that far away from where you live and where you worked last year, but mm-hmm. is the pest profile the same then? Not necessarily. Cause as, as much as it is the same climate, really it's like microclimates from farm to farm specifically. Right. I mean, for just pests in general, but also how farms manage pests. Uh-huh. So for example, gaining ground, the one I'm at now has been around for quite a while and they've been doing this no-till regenerative agriculture for, I mean, eight years or so. They're, they're pretty on top of that game where Gibbet was still converting. We started converting like three years ago to this. So that means that at gaining ground, the soil is substantially healthier, which is a way to deal with pests is having really healthy soil in terms of attracting beneficials. They have a lot more hedgerows, which are essentially – they are – at the edges of fields that have you know fruit trees, but they also have uh, same thing things that are beneficial. Things so that why why does good like, soil health make it less attractive to pests? It seems like pests would be super stoked to have I some guess yummy soil. I might be oversimplifying or making that or coming. I might be saying that wrong, but it it sets the plants up better to survive. Oh, the plants are healthier. Gotcha. Yeah. The plants that are healthier. Um, there's a lot more about soil microbiology that like, right. I am interested in, but don't necessarily know off the top of my head to talk about, but there is plenty of correlation between healthy soil, high, um, you know, soil organic matter, which is basically how much alive stuff is in your soil. Right. And its ability to fight off pests, keep the plants alive. Um, I don't know if you ever read any of those books, like secret life of trees and things about the micro, and the fungi level of of the earth and what's going on, you know, beneath the soil. It's insane what plants are capable of doing um, to the point where, you know, uh, soil microbiologists are still always finding new things because their trees are basically the one of the things from that book would be um, a tree in a forest over here of the same type is being attacked by something, um, whether it be a pest or some type of new uh, disease. And it can essentially send out through its roots to the other ones like hey this is happening to me prepare yeah. yourself and do these different things like that you know where they kind of personify we've trees, actually but. i've i've read a little bit about that because i think that is a metaphor that is useful or relevant to really large organizations as well like really well networked organizations like something is mm-hmm. happening in one part of the organization and it radiates throughout um, and affects other parts of the the organization so yeah that stuff's wild yeah, so there's a lot of that, and that's kind of – we can talk about more in the future. So like no-till and that kind of thing was the start of the idea of this regenerative um, agriculture where you're building the soil back up. But there's a, the new wave stuff that people are pushing into is like – so it's always been like you know you need some type of nutrients. You need nitrogen. You need potassium. You need you know all these different things, phosphorus um, on a bigger scale. And then there's always micro you know, nutrients like manganese and all these other things, boron. But – 
now there's a lot a bigger push for like really micro levels for building up soil health in terms of like fungi and uh, mycorrhizae going on like all these things that are important to the rhizomes and going on beneath the soil so that's kind of like where especially gaining ground is like starting to we can talk more too once we start doing it a bit push into how to build that up um because there's um they're discovering quicker ways to basically rebuild your soil than like counting on putting stuff into the soil. But if you actually put more into the plants in terms of um, just feeding them certain things that they really can like make them rebuild the soil faster than the soil can build itself. Hmm. Um, and there's a lot going on. And, and you're not talking about like just putting like a bunch of fertilizer down. No. So it is, there are mixtures and things they put down, but the mixtures are way more to do with like feeding the things that are in the soil versus feeding the plants. So oh, okay. gotcha. um, fertilizer is feeding straight nutrients to the soil that the, the plant will hopefully grab and pull up. But there's more going on to feed the the percentage of the soil that's actually living. Um, it's like you got to farm, farm the soil so that you can farm the things that you grow in the soil. Pretty much. Mind, mind blower over there. <laughs> Whoa. So, so, yeah. So, well, it's basically because the, the part of the soil that really – um, is the most important for plant life and yield and things the like that part. Is, is the actual yes exactly <laughs> is the living part of the soil which is considered soil organic matter which is a thing you can get tested when you do soil tests right um, you said you didn't you work at a farm that had like incredibly high yeah so um, groundswell two years ago back in Michigan had 53 percent soil organic matter in one of our fields and the average goal that an organic farm is like really striving for would be like 13 percent would be wild so um, but there's pros and cons to that too. Just because we had good soil organic matter at that farm didn't necessarily mean we were doing the best things for the soil either. Right. I would say more than anything, we were depleting it more than we were trying to maintain it. It felt like at times. Um, but I'm not there anymore, so I can't. Yeah. I'm not gonna shit talk the yeah. <laughs> it's farmer on, farm. And we didn't know shade. the and we didn't know the things. I throw shade. That's a good farm term. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't know the things that you know. I was not into this type of agriculture when I was there. So right. Um. But anyways, I don't remember how we got down on that. that, that I don't way. know. I probably – I just had some sort of question. Yeah. You were, you were so, saying the stuff that you actually did this week on the farm. Yeah. So other than that, we did finally do a first harvest as well. We harvested uh, arugula out of one of the hoop houses. Um, so 60 pounds of arugula that we sent to a local high school that's doing um, kind of like emergency meal kits for families that where kids would normally get fed at school. So that was our first official – harvest of the year which was exciting i assume uh, that high school gets stuff from other places too otherwise people just got big old arugula salads uh yeah they, i think they are gathering things from different places okay that's good we gave them we gave them some carrots as well so they did a big again ground grew a lot of storage carrots last year and so the cooler's full of carrots as well okay. so carrots and arugula is what we what we washed and harvested and, and packed um but yeah other than that that was the week cool how's your body feeling i imagine you have to like kind of you don't necessarily take the winter off and then dive back into farming and feel super great. Or maybe yeah, you do. I don't know. You're pretty young. No, I feel like a bucket of butts. Um, okay. <laughs> my body is Can you very... quantify that a little bit? Yeah. So I'm very sore. Um, and this happens. I mean, it does happen every year. Um, but yeah, I think – I don't know why I'm feeling so sore. This is what I think it partly is. is it's the years are compounding in farming, you know? <laughs> my first year was a little different and being in my fifth year now and just like I'm realizing that I need to start doing some things I think we've talked about this to like make myself 
uh, in a better situation for the next week of farming, whether that be, you know, yoga, stretching, things like that. Cause it is, I mean, there's always a transition period, but I'm definitely feeling it right now. Um, where, but where are you good. feeling it? Well, we did a lot of very like heavy lifting, like manual labor with the, the caterpillar tunnels, yeah. the, um, installing all the metal and everything. There was a lot of like, you know, we, when we move a tunnel, you put in new ground posts, which involves using a sledgehammer to put in the, the post and then using one of those, I don't know if you ever used a post hole slammer kind of thing. A slam, I've used a post hole digger and I don't think I've yeah. used, is a post hole slammer against a sledgehammer? No, well kind of. What it is is basically you, you know, you get the metal post, the T post in the ground and then you put this, it's like a metal cap that's longer with handles on each side and you would slide that over the T post and then you can slam it up and down. You know what I mean? So I'm having to hit a hammer against it. You are slamming this metal cap by holding handles on each side of it. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like a, it's like a, it's like a metal tube essentially with a cap at the end that you slide over the T post and you slam it down till whatever height you need to get it to. Um, so anyways, yeah, just a lot of things like that. So my, my, my shoulders are very sore, um, and moving a lot of compost. I didn't mention, but we prepared a lot of beds. You can prep beds in advance that we're going to plant into. So we're next week, this coming week is, is onion week. Which is always a big planting Onion week. Big, big on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> yep. Um, it's yep. The week after Shark Week is Onion yep. Week, and yep. uh, it's every year at different farms. There's sometimes there's you know people will say Onion Week is like or Onion Day, whatever day you do it sucks. Usually, um, it's one of those days that can be. Usually, it's because the weather is unknown because of how early in the year you are. Uh-huh. But also, it's usually the big first like hand planting you do of the year. Like we're talking, you know, most farms because you don't stagger planting of onions you know like you get them in the ground in april you pull them out at the end of july uh, if you're doing bulbed onions whether that's storage or anything like that um so if you do scallions and stuff like that those grow faster but because is scallion just an onion that hasn't finished maturing it is of yeah basically an, it's an allium like that i think if you left them long enough they would produce some type of little bulb under, underground but they okay. they're that's but they are actually a different seed and everything yeah yep Um, so anyways, it's always, you're putting everything in for the year in terms of onions that one time. So, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the number will be here. I know we're planting 16 beds of onions, same thing. They're like three row, six inches or something. So it'll be, it'll be thousands of onions going in the ground, but they're using that paper pot transplanter. So they started all the seeds in that, that fancy system. So one person last year, they said, basically spent an entire day just doing the paper pot by themselves and planted all the onions. Oh, so good. so we, we prepared those beds, which is essentially the normal bed prep on the farm is to put down amendments, whether that's um, fertilizer or an actual like like some chemicals and stuff. Um, still organic, but like actual like boron specific or sulfur specific uh, stuff for the soil. And then you broad fork it, which is a big old pitchfork, which I think I talked about last year we used where you just kind of break up the soil with this huge pitchfork. It's the exact width of the bed. You walk backwards and just go all the way down to 80 feet doing that. That's like your tillage, basically. And then you put compost on top of that, 16 buckets per bed. <laughs> and then uh, at the old farm I was at, you would rake it out. You wouldn't actually use any type of tractor or anything. This farm will use that walk-behind tractor to make like a really pretty, perfectly flat, mixed-up seed bed. Gotcha. Um, so that was a lot of, again, just a lot of carrying and a lot of moving buckets of, of heavy things around. But I'm sure that was like your week too though, right? Like oh, basically, thing. yeah. I mean, it's it's funny how much you just described my week too. Mm-hmm. Equally Big sore. Onion week is tomorrow? Or onion uh, week starts tomorrow? Onion week. 
Yeah, next week's Onion Week at the old at the old client. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> you know, and then and then I think we do Celery Week. Yeah, Carrot of Day. Carrot Day. Cantaloupe yep. afternoon. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's my. That smells like that sounds like a perfume or a candle. Cantaloupe <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> uh, do you guys grow any fruit on Gaining Ground? There's fruit trees and those hedgerows I was talking about. Mm. So there and there's some orchards as well. So there's there is actually a lot of like peach, pear, apple. Uh, there's an apricot tree, a couple other random things around. Cool. And then there's a strawberry patch, and there is also I'm forgetting one that oh they do melons as well and um, not a lot of them because I don't know melons are not the best way to make your money. They take up a lot of space and they take forever to grow. So, gotcha. um, but they do them to provide, I think, a little bit of that's what people want at these food pantries sometimes is like summer fruit that people will look forward to, not necessarily more beets and carrots. Right. Um, but yeah, they do, they do some fruit, which is exciting because, um, I don't know, I haven't been in a lot of farms that do fruit. It's usually one or the other or you just pepper in a little bit. So, peppers aren't fruit. Um, they are, technically. Oh. Well. Well, make a pepper pie and see how people feel about calling it a fruit. Pepper jelly is a thing. Is it? (laughs) Yeah, pepper jelly is a thing. Gross. You'd eat it. I'm pretty sure you'd eat it. Probably would. You're right. Okay. Anyways, what about you? What was your week? Well, I think this is where we have to do an ad break. So find something around you um, that you want to advertise. I literally have, you have to go to the bathroom or something. What's the why are we doing this? No, because this is what, this, you know we're practicing for the day when we have real ads. Here okay. I just have I just grabbed something in front of me. Here we got we got the Sharpie pen. When you want to <laughs> write real good and permanently, but you don't want to use a marker, use the Sharpie pen. You think Sharpie's gonna give us some money? I think we have a shot at it. It's struggling. They I should uh, be sponsored by Sharpie or like 3M or something, considering all the supplies that I use from them or Field Notes. Yeah, field notes. That'd be cool too. I've got, got a drawer full of field notes here from you. Yeah, I know <laughs> they're just being passed. They're just like kicking. They're just kicking the field notes down the yep up the hill. Whatever. Um, I don't think I really have anything. I got a glass of water. What your <laughs> all right? Yeah, glass of water. What's the uh, what's the the call to action on glass of water? You know what? Drink it. That's their, that's their slogan. It's just glass of water. Drink it. Cool. It's kind of like Nikes, you know. Kind of, kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a little bit like milk too. Got milk. Yeah, exactly. Water. Drink it. Drink it. Mm, cool. That's, that's pretty good. That's I can brand that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All that. Yeah. I mean, there are companies that sell water, so I guess so. That is true. Yeah. And they're and they're evil, so maybe we don't yeah. want to necessarily yeah. get in the the same uh, realm as them. Okay. All right. Well, your week. I thought we're going in that ad money. My week. What did I do this week? You wrote it out there, man. It's <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you like you act like you have to come up with it on the spot. You did some prep work. You I forgot. Know. I forgot. Don't yell at me. <laughs> uh, so of the things that I so the things that stood out as potentially a little bit different than usual, um, ended up or I ran. I've been working with a team with a so basically a very senior executives leadership team we've been working with for a while. And one of the things that we are always trying to get these teams to do is to get on a regular cadence of running retrospectives, which is just a meeting where you, um, as a team, ask yourselves what is going well, what's not going well, as well, and what might we want to do about it. And it's, I mean, it's very simple. It's not complicated to do, um, but 
it's tough to get teams of senior leaders to do this because it feels like it's not real work because they're mm-hmm. not cranking on you know some sort of task but it's really important to get together and spend this hour 90 minutes every month doing this so we did this for the first time with that team um and it was the in the way we if we were all in a room together we would do it um with post-its and like putting them on the wall basically you give people individual time to brainstorm the answers to those questions. They write their answers on post-its, and then everybody puts their post-its on the wall. We see what themes emerge. We put like post-its with like, and then we have a conversation about what, we, what we've what we generated. Obviously, yeah, that everyone, worked virtually. everyone's remote now, so we do a version of it in a uh, – they use box. So a box note, which is just a, a text document that – Everybody can be in at the same time. So essentially, we do the exact same thing, except people are typing their answers into a bulleted list in a shared document. Uh, and then we essentially cut and paste lower, in, like down below in the document, we start to make headers of the various themes, and people cut and paste the various um, observations that go underneath those themes. And then we have a conversation, uh, which worked pretty well. It's a little clunky, but it's not terrible. And as far as they, first retros go, it was okay. Yeah, it was. They they generated a lot of things in the individual brainstorm, but they did a they did not do great at the let's have a conversation about this. Like mm-hmm. some real long awkward silences. <laughs> which you've which you said you embrace now, right? You're pretty pretty. Good I mean, at I embrace it. them, but also, I mean, they're awkward for me too. Like I want yeah. them to talk to each other. It was a, it's kind of your job. It's kind of why you're there. <laughs> yeah, and like it's tough when everybody's remote, and we didn't have videos turned on because this client has asked that people not use video right now because it's it their their IT systems are kind of at capacity anyway because every, they're not designed for this many people to be remote. Mm-hmm. So we're just using audio. It's really easy to like hang back in the shadows and not participate when you're only on audio. That's true. Um, we eventually got them talking uh, a little bit. And I think part of it is just, you know, some of them had never done a retro like this before. I think there is, even though the leader of this team did a good job of making space and not being the first person to talk, um, I think, you know, his there's there's maybe some history with him and some other folks on the team where maybe more of the, some of the more junior folks didn't feel comfortable vocalizing things that were critical um, or, you know, pointing out things that weren't going as well, which is to be expected. And hopefully next time this team comes around and does a retro, it'll go a little bit better. And the one after that will be a little bit better. Um, So I did that. That was the main thing early in the week. And then any, I was any good actionable slash, did they see the value in the meeting? Do you feel like, or do you think the the leader reached out to me afterward and said that he thought it went really well and was really appreciative that we did it. Um, That's good. So that that's good. And we're actually in their action meeting on Monday. We're going to keep the conversation going around what they actually want to do differently. Sometimes the impulse is that is to like take every observation that came out in the retro and attach some sort of action or project to it and make people go do the things to fix those, which is understandable, but not the move that you want to do because 
the retros then just become a place where we create a bunch of work for everyone else, which is not really the, the point. The idea is that we pick one or two things to be really deliberate about and try to do a little bit differently. So on Monday, I'm going to try to push that conversation in their weekly meeting to see if I can get them to agree to one thing that they might want to do differently, whether it's tweaking their weekly meeting or agreeing to use Slack or some other thing that came up during uh, during the meeting. Gotcha. Cool. Yep. And then the other um, kind of block uh, or another kind of major project that we're working on at the client is really getting serious about creating a coaching program within um, within that, the organization where we will be coaching people to become coaches in ostensibly organization design, but more specifically right now, at least like facilitating action meetings, um, helping teams do retrospectives, the kind of meeting facilitation stuff that we've been doing. We are going to put some some meat on the bones of a program to get them to be able to do that themselves, which maybe sounds like I've been working with this client for a year, and this is something that I've wanted and have been pushing to do for basically since the very beginning, but for lots of various reasons involving reorgs that we were not involved in, but definitely affected us, which I've talked about before. We haven't really had the mandate or the space to stand this work up, but we do now. Like our kind of key stakeholder, this is one of the things that she is going to be evaluated on in a couple of months. So there's motivation to make this happen. So we're starting to figure out, well, who's the first group of people that are going to be a part of this? And what are we going to teach them? And how are we going to teach them? Wow, Siri is jumping in and just wants to participate. Um, So we're figuring out all that. We're pretty early in it, but we're on a weekly cadence of meeting with the initial folks who are helping us design this program and pretty soon we'll have the first kind of wave of people coming into it to learn how to do this type of work nice is that pretty uh is that in oh you've kind of done this before is that pretty intense to try and uh break down everything that you've learned from the past whatever how many years you've been doing uh organization design and coaching and things like that and make it a um very teachable thing for someone whose actual job is, you know, yeah, something. The, <laughs> the trick, I think, is really constraining what the program actually is and how much of it is just the real practical, here's how to facilitate this type of meeting um, and how much of it is the theoretical, here's why we even do this type of meeting and here's the larger thing at play. You got to mm-hmm. have both. You can't just have a bunch of people who know how to basically follow the recipe of a specific meeting type, but not actually understand why we're doing that, like not understand the principles behind it, because there are larger principles at play for why we're teaching them things that we're teaching them. But also we can't have this just be like purely like a seminar class where you come learn some theory and don't actually have any practice working with real teams and answering their real questions about how to do stuff and how to do things differently. So that's a delicate balance. I don't know that we'll, – we'll figure it out as we go along. We don't need to get it perfect right off the bat. We just need to get started and then have a way to adjust as we learn more. Is this first group of people or any of them currently sitting in on action meetings and things you're doing? Are they like being pulled from other parts of the company the that first, have not yet interacted with you? No, the first group of people are like our peeps. They're like the okay. people who we've already have relationships with and they kind of know things. They've been in – uh, some of them have been in action meetings for weeks at this point, months even. Um, so the first, yeah, the first group is like our closest uh, allies for sure. 
Gotcha. Okay. That'll make it a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the all the typical stuff that I normally have in a week, lots of other action meeting facilitation and ad hoc meetings and coaching and advising here and there um, as they just kind of pop up. Um, we have two new members on the team, um, one who's been a member of the Ready for a long time, one who is a new hire. So there's a lot of time and effort kind of spent spinning them up on the context of what we're doing and all of the tech stuff, which isn't straightforward to get them set up on the, the client's IT systems. It's actually a nightmare to do that mostly. Um, so my days are very full. I'm grateful that this client is... They're affected by the COVID stuff for sure, but also it's there's a certain element of business as usual, um, mm-hmm. the nature of, of their work, and therefore their expectations of us is kind of business as usual, and the work is continuing just um, remotely. So, um, Has there been, this is kind of a side topic, has there been a lot of internal conversation within the Ready, not about your project, but just about like obviously the times, the way they are? Or is everyone kind of just still doing their own thing and it's not really like you guys haven't either had time to sit back and reflect on it as a, as a full company-wide discussion or is that you know currently happening too? We've definitely had – we've had one conversation a couple of weeks ago when things really started to break bad. Um, that was a couple hour long conversation like, all right, like what – what does this mean for us? How? What's our? What do our finances look like? Let's do some scenario planning around. If if this happens, what might we do? If this other thing happens, what might we do? That helped to give us a shared sense of where we kind of currently sit in this moment and what kind of um, runway we have in terms of our finances and you know the what's here's the situation if we don't sell anything and everything we're owed does come in here's the situation if we don't sell anything and what we're owed doesn't come in and these various scenarios like that which helped us all just get grounded in in reality and then we have um a couple of endeavors a couple of initiatives which have been accelerated by what has been going on here so we're working on a standalone course that we could hopefully sell relatively soon that would help an organization that is trying to make the shift to being more remote um, but beyond just like here are some tips and tricks for working from home yeah broader more holistic view of moving your organization to a remote culture and the things that you might need to do and think about and some tools to help you do that were you guys already doing that before this all broke or were you no not really not not this is a response specifically that was kind of a response to it um and then we have um some software initiatives that we committed to at our last retreat before all of this happened and that is continuing on, um, but in a slightly different format that allows us, I think, to get further with less money. Um, mm-hmm. Just a slight adjustment in our strategy about kind of getting a first version of that pulled together. Um, again, the idea there is that if we get to a place in the economy where selling expensive consulting engagements isn't as feasible we want to have other options on the table and one of those options should be some sort of software that we own and can license to or sell to organizations uh so we're pushing forward on that and then there were a couple other internal initiatives that we committed to at the retreat that 
given this moment in time, we have decided to pause or continue in such a way as to not spend any money on them because they're mm-hmm. just not as important as selling that next project or getting these other initiatives that are more directly related to this moment in time out the door. Is your um, writing project part of that? Yeah, kind of. The content platform um, initiative that I've been leading, I think I have like $10,000 set aside for me to work with some people and look into some software, some design work potentially. That feels less important. I think I'll end up still kind of poking around and seeing what I can do on my own, but not intending to spend any of that money until we get a little more clarity about what's happening um, in the economy. And then just our last thing, you know, every other week we have what we call our growth meeting on Friday, and that is continuing on pretty unchanged other than just we're having some more conversations about what we're seeing in the market and whether we need to potentially do some more outbound um, lead generation as opposed to just waiting for people to come to to us but that meeting hasn't really changed too much other than maybe there's just a little bit more seriousness that we all bring to it because it's important that we uh, navigate this moment mm-hmm. boca agrees by the way yeah i, I knew she would we, we, we had a t- we had a call last week yeah um all right well we can yeah. still let's let's touch on a few of the other things. I'm curious in your last. What are you growling about? Yeah, we're about we're we're almost bullet. at time here too. Oh no, the the procurement thing. I mean, I'm working in a huge organization, and we're so we're successfully like expanding projects and selling more work, which is great. But I am having to spend an increasing amount of time just dealing with procurement stuff, like the bureaucracy of how you sell work or how you get contracts set up and signed and and um, POs. Um, ready to go that you can send invoices against. It's just, it's just terrible. And that that's like my role on the project team because I've been on this project from the beginning. I, I take care of that stuff. So I spend a lot of time dealing with that. It makes me, <laughs> gotcha. It makes that me makes more sense. Um, well, there's one bullet that I do actually want to discuss because it was another thing and I, we'll keep it kind of yeah, short. I want to hear about your handkerchief. Your handkerchief well, okay. Well, that wasn't the one that I was going to talk oh, okay. about. That can, we can cap the episode with my, right. my, hanker, my handkerchief uh, hot take because um, everyone's waiting for it now that they know it exists. Um, but your writing sessions, this is the month of write, correct? You, yes. you maneuvered, finagled, and, and put it back into the yes. rotation a little sooner than normal. Yes. Um, I'm curious. So you, you said you set aside time in the morning to write, correct? Yep. Still doing that? 6.10, 6.15 or so to around 7.30. Even though I got a text pretty early this morning when you were playing Final Fantasy VII that seemed like it was in your writing time. I wasn't actually playing it. <laughs> I had I actually got up on time today uh, on Sunday. To I got up at 6, and I did write for a little bit. Sorry, I was about to put you on blast. Else. Yeah, wait, put me on blast, man. But I actually did my writing today, so don't even okay. try. I'll send okay. it to you. Okay, okay. Well, I have a couple, I have a couple writing questions because I'm curious. I'm sure you're, you're trying to figure out like routine and stuff as you start to do this more, um, even though it sounds like you have a pretty good routine. When you sit down every morning is there like a specific project that you are setting out to write on i see here you have some yeah. stuff in parentheses that you are kind of like writing and working on do you set out just to work on like i'm just working on this this morning yeah so it kind of both things so on the one hand the actual explicit commitment is simply to sit at my desk from six fifteen to seven thirty mm-hmm. every day there's nothing even actually anything in the commitment about actually writing. It's about giving myself the opportunity to write. And But if I just sat here for an hour and a half or hour 15 minutes and just looked at a blank screen, um, 
that would technically count toward my my goal. Uh, however, obviously, I want to be writing, and so therefore, the next level up is I'm I'm happy with writing literally anything. Uh, stream of consciousness, just whatever it is in my brain, and, and I want to type into a, a word processor, that counts. Um, trying to not be overly precious about that. However, one step beyond that, I would love to be writing things that are substantive and useful and helping push me in the directions a direction of my goals. So that means writing things like my newsletter on a more consistent basis or articles that I can publish on my website or on the Ready's website uh, on a more consistent basis or maybe a larger writing project that could turn into a book or something um, or, you know, a really long series of articles or something. Uh, so that's what I'm hoping to work on every day. Kind of like the order would be whatever this book project is and then w at least one day a week writing the deliberate and then the rest of the time, if I'm not feeling up to working on the book, is... Um, writing an article or sometimes an article turns into like the first draft of an article turns into something that I, is useful in this book project. Um, that's what I'm trying to do at least. Gotcha. So book project, is that, a, that's a real thing. It's, uh, I mean, it's too early tentative. to talk about, but I am sitting down and like, I have pretty robust outline of a thing that I'm trying to write. Um, this week I took a, f a first stab at writing a really terrible introduction. That was a couple thousand words. So I, it's too early to really go into much detail about it yet. It's still too young. I'm afraid I'll kill it if I talk about it too much. Yeah. But I am making some progress on an idea for a book that I think is – it has at least some legs. I don't know if they're good legs. I don't know if they're fully functional legs. They may mm -hmm. be just kind of like vestigial legs. Um, but I see something that leg-shaped on them. Gotcha. Is it um? Is it maybe a little bit? Is it kind of like a memoir writing about life after a mustache? Like once you got a mustache, how how things you, have changed? You nailed it. You nailed it. Life, <laughs> life before mustache and life after mustache. A, a personal memoir. If I say it's <laughs> yep. Um. Okay. Cool. Well, I was just curious. That answers pretty much most of my questions. So right, you will cool. kind of balance multiple projects at once. You write kind of whatever feels either needed or just what you need to put out. Yeah. The idea or what's is just to mind. make make words appear. And if they're mm -hmm. words that just live in my journal or words that end up potentially being an article or a newsletter, like it all counts. I just want to make words appear. Gotcha. And your journal is still technically digital, right? Everything yeah. is. But I've had a couple of days where I would either write it by hand in a notebook or in my app on my iPad, and then I'll eventually transcribe it into the digital tool. Gotcha. Do you ever actually go back and look at old journals and stuff through your or I categorize do. them? Or yeah, like, I um, roughly monthly or maybe every two months I'll go back and read uh, the previous month's entries. Um, and then I haven't done this in a while, but I used to be pretty diligent about reading um so day one will give me a notification about this day in the past and mm -hmm. because i have like 12 years of journal entries in there there's almost always something every day so sometimes i'll go back i'll i'll make sure to read you know what i wrote on this day however many years in the past that's cool yeah the main thing i've learned from that is that i've been writing about the same stuff and struggling with the same stuff basically since i was like 20 years old so yeah well, that's probably true for many people. Yeah. You just have the actual way to see it. So yeah. All right. Well, we can um, we can we can scooch these these last couple topics real quick. Yeah, real quick. Um, uh, Final Fantasy VII remake is out. That's very exciting. I know it's not exciting for you, but it's exciting for me. If there's one game that encapsulates my entire childhood and can fill me with immediate nostalgia for being like in middle school, it's uh, Final Fantasy VII. And the remake just came out and. 
I've been playing it, and our other brothers have been playing it, and it's been a lot of fun. Do you have any thoughts about Final Fantasy VII Remake? Nope, just uh, just watched. Well, I, don't, I haven't seen the, the remake, but I just watched you guys play a lot of Final Fantasy VII. Love the music. Uh, I remember sitting, looking over your guys' shoulders as you played, and really just cheering you on from the back because that was how <laughs> I spent my childhood playing video games, um, which wasn't playing. It was just watching, unless it was Rock Band and I was singing, um, <laughs> which was after you went to college, anyways. I but, think so, yeah. Yeah. So no, no, no thoughts on it. I'm, I'm glad you guys are all so excited for a video game. It's very I'm, cute. I'm still making time playing. to play Overwatch with you. Yeah, you are. You're doing a good job. Um, no, it's fun. So excited about a game. You guys all, all, you four are really into it. Yeah, our our brother group text is mostly Final Fantasy VII, and we'll not go into detail about the nature of that conversation. Uh, yeah, my new desk fun. location is destroying my retinas in the afternoon. Uh, I'm just really excited about sun. how this desk uh, is right in front of a window. Um, which means that in the afternoon, I just get blasted in the face by the sun. Even with mm-hmm. my blinds closed, I feel like I am just getting scorched uh, and probably yeah. destroying my monitor. Like, I can't, my monitor must be getting so hot. Uh, so, yeah. I'm having some second oh, thoughts. Oh, it did stop working, current, right? So. Yeah, I'm having some second thoughts about my, de- my desk location, but I really don't want to rearrange it again. So, I think I'm just going to, I might just get some curtains or something. Any good window scenes from the week? Nothing out there? Well, I got my, I, I talk about my golf friend. Last time? No, you talked about the you talked about the kite was all. Oh, the kite's still there. I still see. I'm looking at it right now. Um, there is a guy who is basically on the same writing routine as me, except he goes out into this baseball field out in the outfield here, and he hits golf balls for like nice. 45 minutes. And I think they're practice balls. I don't think he's bombing actual <laughs> golf balls like across these two fields, but he might be. I don't actually know. Um, seems like he, he has control, though. Looks like he has a good swing. Um He's pretty diligent. He was out here like in the drizzle the other day. Uh, I, every once in a while, I can see him get real frustrated with himself uh, and like be like talking to himself or like hitting mm-hmm. it, like slamming his club down. And other days, he seems more calm. Today, he seemed like he really had his game together. His his swing looked real good. That's good. Um, if you opened your window and yelled, would he be able to hear you? Yes. Have you thought about just once going, "Nice shot"? Totally I should. Good. I, should. I don't want to make up. himself conscious, though. But also, he has to know. Like, he's in the middle Someone's, of this field. There's a yeah. whole apartment, multiple apartment buildings here. Like, he's probably putting on a little bit of a show. And he, he probably wants to be seen a little bit. Yeah, yeah for sure. Exactly. Have you given him a name? Is it, give, does he have a name yet? No, I You're haven't. just golf yeah. guy? Yeah, he's just golf guy. Okay. Well, keep us updated on golf guy, the yeah. kite, and any other new sightings. Yeah, I definitely will. All right, tell uh, me about your handkerchief. I've, there's not much to say here, really, other than I, all my life I've thought handkerchiefs were kind of gross. I mean, they still kind of the thought of a handkerchief is a little gross. Um, I don't know. You just it depends on how you're using stuff. it. If you're like yeah. dropping loogies into it consistently and putting it back in your pocket, that's disgusting. Yeah, which is not how I am using it. So we were we were gifted um, some handkerchiefs by one of the board members at Gaining Ground to kind of use for either like if you needed a makeshift mask for some reason to tie it around your face, oh, right. if you wanted to use it to you know dry your hands off, whatever. But I've just been using it on the farm and carrying around with me because so often on the farm you end up with just like muddy hands. But you need to either like grab your – I want to like grab my phone and take pictures at the farm and stuff or like you're just like it's a cold day. You got a snotty nose or <laughs> anything like a bunch of different uses yeah. for it now. I, I discovered that being a handkerchief uh, handkerchief guy might might be a thing for me at least when I'm farming. I'm not like carrying one nice. around as a normal fashion uh, thing. But you know I've come around on the handkerchief and I'm giving it a shot. Um, so we'll see if that continues or not, or if All it gets right. real gross, but I'll keep you updated too on my, my I mean, I feel like it, news. as a farmer, it's like, it's part of the, part of the move, like part of the, the look. Yeah. I was wearing overalls at one point this week, like my <laughs> kind of warmer overalls and I had a handkerchief in my pocket and wow. I was like, yeah, right. this is, All right, this is mark. right. 
So, uh, but yeah, that's about it for me. That's my right. highlight of the week. Well, I think uh, I think we did it. We did a long one. We did a long one. That's about, we 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 no people we des- people deserve that. We owe it to them. Yeah. Want to um, want to go play some Overwatch? Yeah, let's play some Overwatch. I got to pee real bad. Let's All play right, some Overwatch. Well, now we're done, and then we'll go play some Overwatch. <laughs> Thanks for okay. listening, everyone. See ya.